right, please rise for the reading of God's word. Our sermon text this morning comes from John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once again, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So, uh, what comes to your mind when you think about the word darkness? I know for me, the, the first thing that comes to mind is the first November, the first weekend in November in Boston. Some of you guys know that we lived there for 15 years before moving here. And I can say with, without a, a moment of doubt that my least favorite time of the year was that first Saturday night into Sunday morning when we had to turn the clocks at the, the beginning of Daylight Savings. That meant that all of a sudden the sun was going to set at 4.30, be completely set at 4.30 in the afternoon. And then as the days got shorter and shorter, by mid-December, the sun was starting to get low at like 3.30 in the afternoon. And it was just crushing, not because it was the days were getting shorter, but, but also because with those shorter days come the dreary winter months, the, the cold weather, 
the sunlight decreasing means the trees start to lose their leaves and everything starts to die and just get kind of gross outside. So it seemed like just with the little adjustment of the clock, all of life got a little bit harder. And that's what happens when darkness increases in our lives. And of course, there's all kinds of darkness in this world, not just the literal darkness that comes when the seasons change. But, but our passage today is talking about a spiritual darkness. It's talking about an emotional darkness that seems to permeate all of life. There is a lot of darkness in this world, right? There's the darkness of war, of racism, of poverty. There's the darkness of conflict and division in our communities. There's the interpersonal darkness in our strained and broken relationships, in our relationships with our spouses or our family, with our friends or our coworkers, maybe with people inside the church. And then there's that internal darkness of our own struggle with depression or our own mental health. And it's into this world of darkness that Jesus stands up to proclaim, I am the light. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So do you have that light? That's the question this morning. Do you have the light? Do you want the light? How do you get that light? Well, there's three things we see in this passage. One, the simple fact that the world needs light. And secondly, that Jesus is the light. And finally, that when we walk in it, the light spreads. So the world needs light, first of all. The world needs light. You know, light is one of the most frequent images that shows up in all of Scripture. There's over 200 different passages that talk about light with meaning, trying to help us to understand something about God. In fact, the Bible, it begins with light, and the Bible ends with light. First page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Last page of the Bible, Revelation 22, it says, there is coming a time in the new heavens and the new earth when there will be no more night. Well, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord will give them light. Light is a hugely important idea in Scripture. Light is essential for life. Light is something you need. We just know this by living, right? Light is something you need for things to grow. You need light for warmth. You need light for life to exist. But also there are effects of having light in the world, right? Light is connected with our knowledge. Light brings awareness of things. You can't see clearly without light. When light enters into a dark place, right, the, the hidden things in that room are exposed. Light is essential to the way that we see and understand and perceive the world as it really is. 
so those are the two main images. There's this connection between light and life, and then there's a connection between light and knowledge. And those are really obvious ideas. In fact, they're so obvious that they are just part of our common language, right? If you want to uh, learn something about a subject, well, you say, well, enlighten me, right? When you get an idea, <laughs> a light bulb goes off in your head. When you explain something, you shed some light on a subject. When a, a word or an image connects with a person in a deep level, we say that they light up, right? Light in scripture, it's that same idea. It carries with it this same weight, knowledge, understanding. There's this sense of joy. There's this life that comes from light. And so when Jesus comes and he says, I am the light of the world, he's making a pretty big claim. He's making a huge claim, actually. First of all, he's saying, when he says I'm light of the world, he's saying, well, the world needs some light. That it lacks understanding. That it lacks that life and that joy that it's supposed to have. And that shouldn't be a huge surprise, right? We should, it shouldn't surprise you to hear that our world is lacking in, in knowledge and understanding and life and joy. Because we kind of intrinsically know that, right? We've been singing songs about that for decades, right? You too, back in the 80s, was singing it. I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? We're filled with these unmet longings. We're filled with these unanswered questions. The world is not a place of understanding. It's a place of confusion. Our world is a place of turmoil, of conflict. We're constantly at odds with one another. As I was preparing for this sermon... I listened to uh, some old sermons by Martin Lloyd-Jones, which I often do. Um, I named my dog after Martin Lloyd-Jones recently. He's, he's one of my favorite guys. Um, but he preached back in the decades following World War II. And so his perspective's unique. He preached in London. Uh, there's some similarities between our cultures, but, but there's a lot of differences as well. But I found it interesting listening to him because he talked about uh, how... In his era, right, right after World War II, they, they had just gone through some, some major things. And at the beginning of the 20th century, early 1900s, all of these people were thinking, well, because of the advances in technology that we've just seen, because of the advances in education that we've just seen, because of the advances in philosophy, well, this century is going to be a great century. We're going to move closer and closer to peace. The world is going to get better and better. We're going to see utopia achieved. But, of course, by the 1960s, what have we, what have we seen, right? The, the 20th century was the bloodiest century in human history. Things had not gotten better. They'd gotten a lot worse, now, think about our own time, right? Since then, what's happened? Well, we've got the internet. We have global connectivity. We are able to, to, to see what's going on and learn about what's going on around the world. You'd think maybe this would lead us to greater peace. This would lead us to, to more understanding with one another. But instead, what happened in the 21st century? Well, we started with 9-11. We had some wars in the Middle East. We had genocides around the globe. Currently, Europe is still at war. Why can't we find peace? Why can't we find peace? Not just in this world, 
but even in our own hearts. In this information age, in this world where there are therapists and counselors everywhere, why is it that the suicide rate has increased by 30% in the last 20 years? Why is the world always coming short of our expectations? Why do we struggle so much to make sense of our own lives and our own selves? Well, it's because the world needs light. We need light. But unfortunately, in our search for light, in our search for knowledge and understanding and life, in our search for those answers, we tend to go to all the wrong places, don't we? We fumble around in the darkness and we try to, to find understanding through all these other things, to try to find meaning through all these other things, through our possessions, through our relationships, through our experiences. Our, a great vacation will, will give some meaning to our life through some great achievement. We try to find light through new technology, through better political leaders. We try to find light through philosophy or education. We might even try to find it through just being very religious, doing lots of good moral things. But none of it works. None of them bring the answers we're looking for. None of us, none of them brings the understanding. We all are still searching because the world needs light. That's the simple point that Jesus is making. The world needs light. But the second thing is that Jesus is the light. Now, before we get any further into the text, I want to just give us some more about the setting. Remind us where we are, what's going on inside the Gospel of John. You might recall that this stuff is happening in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And that's a major uh, festival in the Jewish uh, tradition. It was the time when all the Jewish people would get together and they would celebrate those things that you read about in the book of Exodus. You remember those stories, right? Where, Jesus, where God miraculously delivered his people out of slavery, where he led them through the wilderness for 40 years and he eventually brought them into the promised land. And so to celebrate this time, the people would build these kind of temporary shelters, these little huts, and they would live in them throughout the week. And then they would go and worship at the temple and participate in all these little events. And, and honestly, it sounds kind of like a great time. It's, it sounds like a lot of fun, camping out with your friends, worshiping together every day. And during the, this festival, there were all kinds of little rituals that they would go through. Um, and one of them that took place was the, the ritual that happened in this area called the Court of the Women. Now, this isn't super important to, to know exactly where it happened, but in the temple... It was structured in a way that every person couldn't make it into every different place. But in this women's courtyard near the front, all the Jewish people were allowed to gather. So it was an area where everybody got to go and be together. And in this spot, each night, they would light these huge candelabras. These giant candle, candlelit, uh, torch-type things that would light up the whole area. And they would burn all night long. Some of the historians, when they described the scene, they said that, that the temple looked like a diamond in the middle of Jerusalem. That these lights were so bright that they filled the whole city with flickering light during the evening. 
Why did they do that? Why did they have these big candles? It wasn't just so that they could see, but actually it was to remind them of the Exodus, to remind them that during those years of wandering, God had provided for them not just food, not just manna, not just water in the wilderness, but also God had provided his own presence with the people. Do you remember that? That as the people went through the wilderness, it said that God led them along the way. In Exodus 13, it says that by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. And neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left the place in front of the temple. So day and night, all the time, God is present with these people. And that's what that light was all about. The reason they put those flames out and let them burn all night long was to remind the people that God had been with them in the wilderness. And back in the previous chapter, um, we learned that this teaching was happening on the last day of the festival. So it's a week-long festival, and it's the last and greatest day of the festival. If you think about a week-long party, this is the day when things are starting to get packed up. Right? This is the day when people are preparing to go home. So uh, this is the day when these big candles are going to be blown out and turned off. And at that moment, on this last day, that's when Jesus comes and he stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you understand? He's making a a huge claim. He is saying not only is he the light, that means he's the source of understanding, right? He's the source of life. But he is saying that he is, in fact, the glory cloud. He is the presence of God come to earth. That whoever follows him will never be in darkness. And maybe you're thinking, well, that's a lot of symbolism for one sentence. <laughs> you know, did people really pick up on that? Were they, were they able to catch all of what he was saying in that, in that moment? And actually, yeah, we know that they did. Because in verse 20 it says, Jesus spoke these words while he was teaching in the temple court near the palace where the offerings were. And yet, no one seized him because his time had not yet come. John says, amazingly, Jesus says he is the glory cloud, and nobody arrested him immediately. (laughs) We got what he was saying. They knew what he was getting at, but his time hadn't come yet. And so he wasn't wasn't taken. So there you have it. There's all this meaning. There's all this symbolism wrapped up in the statement. But why does that matter? Okay? Why does it matter for us? What does this mean for us today? Why do we care that Jesus says he's the light of the world? Well, the amazing thing about this invitation is that it is, you know, the the setting has changed. Our culture has changed. The time has changed. But the invitation is the same today, right? The world that we live in is the same world today. And as you look at the passage, you see these religious people arguing about it. You see these religious people debating about it. You see that they are, they're kind of irritated, 
by Jesus, right? Because they thought that they already had what they needed. In terms of the metaphor, they thought they had plenty of light. They thought that they could see just fine, right? These people were good people. They were at a week-long festival worshiping God. They spent their lives following the rules and teaching other people how to follow the rules. They had a fine life. And here's this young rabbi standing in the temple court saying that they are walking in darkness. Do you remember another story from Genesis, the story of Jacob falling in love with Rachel? Do you remember the story that, that he was one of the early patriarchs of Israel and he left his home and went to a foreign land. And while he was in that land, he met this beautiful woman and he fell in love with her and he decided that he wanted to marry her. And in exchange for marrying her, her father said, well, you're going to have to work for me for seven years before I'll let you marry her. And because he loved the woman, he agreed to do it. And he worked seven back-breaking years. Seven years under the desert sun, sweating, dealing with cattle. But he did it because he knew what was coming. And at the end of the seven years, he was allowed to marry Rachel. And they had this big wedding. They had this festival. And in the evening, in the night, he came and he brought her into his tent and consummated his marriage. And everything was great. His life was going great. Everything was going according to plan. His life was just fine. And then it tells us that in the morning, under the light of day, he looked, and behold, it was Leah. It was her older sister. He had been tricked. In the darkness of night, he had been fooled into believing a lie. Now, I bring that story up because maybe you find yourself in a position kind of like these religious leaders. Your life is fine. You don't know Christ. You come to church maybe every now and then, but, but between services, it doesn't really mean a whole lot to you. You don't seek him. You don't pray to him. You don't really know him. But you know what? Your life is good. You have what you need. You think things are going just fine. But like Jacob, one day, you're going to wake up in the pure light of the Lord, and you're going to realize life is not as good as you thought. That in the darkness of this life, you have been fooled. That what seemed good, what seemed like it was enough, was in fact a trap. And now it's too late. But Jesus... He's calling out to you today. He says, I am the light. I am the light of this world. And you cannot see this world clearly until you follow me. You cannot possibly perceive the spiritual realities around you on your own. In our call to worship, we read from Psalm 36. And the last line of that, it says... In verse 9, with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. I chose that verse to start the service because 
it's, it's telling us that not only is God the source of light, but it is through his light that we see everything else. That, that the light of Christ is what gives us the ability to understand what's going on in this world. Apart from him, we can't do that. Jesus, when he stands up, he says he is the light. He is the only light. And everybody who lives apart from him is, is blind. And that brings us to the third point. That when we walk in the light, it spreads. So, first of all, how do we come to the light? Like, how do we actually get the light? How, how do we find the light if we don't have it? I, I wish I had some, like, really creative, uh, smart thing to say here, but it's the most simple thing you find in Scripture. You just have to look to Christ in faith. The way you have the light is by looking at Jesus. You look at Jesus to save you. Not to some lesser thing, right? Not to your own achievements like the Pharisees did. Not to your own efforts. Not to your religious observance. Not to your own goodness. We will never find light that way. We will never find understanding. We will never find joy. We will never find life if we simply look to the things of this world. We'll never find it by looking at our own prayer life or our good deeds or our feelings. The only way we will find it is if we look at Christ. The way you get light is when you see him. And that means you see his holiness. You see his perfection. You see his goodness. And you realize that, that God has given that holiness to you as a gift. You see his death on the cross. You see the punishment that he paid for the sins of the world. And you realize that because of that, there's no wrath left for you. That you are loved. That you are welcomed in Christ. When that happens, when you see the holiness of Christ and realize it's yours, when you see the punishment of Christ and realize that, that your punishment has been taken away, that means that you don't have to be anxious anymore. You don't have to worry anymore about where you stand with God. You can believe that, that you're in the light. That the glory cloud is never going to depart from you. It means you can live free. And look, I, I'm going to just say, I love it when I meet Christians who are living in the light. Do you know what that looks like? I took the kids to see a movie this week. We went to see the Minions movie. We were like one of billions of people, I think, that saw that, saw that movie. It made tons of money this week. But before that movie, uh, they played a trailer of a movie with George Clooney and uh, Julia Roberts. You know, the things all the kids want to see. Right, But there's this trailer for some romantic comedy coming up with them. And let me just say, you know, they looked great. They looked awesome. You know, I went and Googled it. They're, George Clooney's 61. Julia Roberts is 54 years old. And they just looked fantastic. But you know what? They don't really look like that. <laughs> right? That's makeup, isn't it? Right? That's people who get paid thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to light the set so that, so that it hides the flaws. 
right? It's camera lenses. It's wardrobe designers. And who knows, maybe, you know, a surgeon here or there. But I can tell you something. I guarantee you this, that under that blight, bright fluorescent light in the bathroom in the morning, they don't look quite so good, right? Now, look, I'll be honest, they, they still look better than me. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but they don't look quite so good, right? The blemishes show up in that kind of light. The wrinkles show up in that kind of light. Without the covering of the makeup, the world weariness shows up in that unforgiving light over the bathroom sink. Well, spiritually speaking, when we walk in the darkness, we live our lives like an aging movie star. We're doing everything we can to cover up our flaws. We're doing everything we can to minimize our failings, to make excuses, to blame other people, to manipulate people, to twist things, to do whatever it takes to make ourselves look good. But when we're in the light of Christ, when we're in that exposing, holy, blazing, but forgiving light of Christ, when we're in the light of the one who sees all of our ugliness, but who said, I'm going to cover you with my beauty, well, that frees you up to live differently. It frees you up to, to stop hiding. Christians who are in the light, they can admit their failings. Christians who are in the light, they can hear criticism because, well, they've seen who they really are. <laughs> they realize that, that, yeah, there are probably things that I've missed. I shouldn't be surprised to find out that sometimes I hurt people. Sometimes I sin in ways I, I can't even imagine. And, and they're able in the light to own it. To repent without fear. They don't need to justify themselves because their hope isn't in themselves. They don't need to justify themselves because Jesus has already justified them. People who are in the light live free. Because they're walking in Christ's light and not their own. And so the last thing I want to say here is simply this. People who live like that, people who walk in the light, well, they are always pointing others towards it. I spent about 30 minutes already trying to unpack just the, how many layers there are to this illustration when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. How many different facets there are of that. How incredible that claim really is. But do you remember what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount? A very similar statement that he makes. Matthew chapter 5. In John, he says, I am the light of the world. In Matthew, he says, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There's some real truth there, folks. That when people see you living in the light, when they see you living a humble life, when they see you repenting of your own sin, owning up to your failings, giving glory to God in your successes, well, that's going to lead other people 
to glorify him. Because that's not how the world works. That's not what everybody else does. And isn't that the kind of church the world needs today? The church that's not shouting and and battling the world, but instead a church that's honest about its weaknesses. A church that's open to its failings and a church that is always giving God the glory. So as we close this morning, I just want to invite you to search your heart. I want to invite you to ask God in a moment of silence, what corners of your life might need to be exposed to the light? Maybe places where you've been self-righteous. Maybe places where you've been looking for life apart from him. And then let's ask the Lord how we can go and be a light for him. Let's pray. Lord, our enemy, the devil, would have us believe that if light comes in, we'll be doomed, we'll be exposed, we'll be harmed. That if people see us as we really are, we will have no hope. But Lord, your gospel tells us the opposite. That when the light comes in, there is freedom. That when the light comes in, there's nothing left to hide. And that when the light comes in, there is no chance that we will be turned away. Because we'll all be welcomed in Christ. Father, I pray that you would lead us as a church into a gospel-centered humility. That we would forgive others as we've been forgiven. That we would repent of our sin. And be seeking ways to humble ourselves before you. And lastly, Lord, I pray that you would help us to shine as lights in this community. Help us to be different. The whole world is fighting with itself. The whole world is claiming its territory. The whole world is afraid. The whole world is, is, is worried about the future, but we are not. Your kingdom will come. Your will will be done. Give us confidence and faith to shine your light. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.